Chapter 13 of Religion and Health. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. Religion and Health by James Joseph Walsh. Chapter 13 Dreads. Part 1. The most fruitful source of neurotic afflictions, and especially of what have come to be termed in recent years the psychoneuroses, those disturbances of nerve function due to an unfortunate state of mind are the dreads or as they have been called the fear thoughts of mankind men as well as women develop in the sense of fostering often almost unconsciously to themselves a dread of the interior significance of some symptom or feeling or disturbance of function which serves to make them extremely uncomfortable the physical sensation which they experience and which is the basis and the source of the dread may be only a quite normal physiological feeling common to all humanity heightened by over-attention to it but the fearsome state of mind will cause it to assume the significance of a definite symptom of some serious disease or what may be worse an indefinite symptom of some impending affection which in the opinion of the sufferer may be as yet too inchoate for the physician to recognize its real significance it is not a question of an imaginary ill as a rule and there is but seldom a real hallucination or creation by the fantasy out of nothing of the ailment from which these people suffer but there is an exaggeration of some slight or at least comparatively insignificant feeling to an extent that makes it assume a serious aspect this inhibits normal function lessens appetite and exercise at times even disturbs sleep and so brings about some at least of the ailments that are dreaded not infrequently these dreads are very vague People wake in the morning with a sense of depression and the feeling that something is hanging over them. As a result, they feel out of sorts, their appetite for breakfast is blunted, and they begin the day very badly just because of this incubus of vague disturbance of mind. Almost anything that happens during the day will emphasize their depression. As a consequence, lunch may be skipped, they do not get out as they should, and a vicious circle of influences is begun. Perhaps they eat rather heartily for dinner, and then fall asleep in their chair afterwards over the evening paper, and then find that when they go to bed they do not sleep promptly as they expected. They worry over it, feeling that there must be something the matter with them, since they cannot sleep lying down, though they could sleep so well in the chair. And if there should be a repetition of these feelings the next day, it is easy to understand how a psychoneurosis would be started which might easily, if eating and outing and exercise were to continue to be neglected, develop into a serious condition many a case of nervous breakdown has a beginning as simple as this and people of nervous temperament must be constantly on guard against it such patients and they are much more common than might be thought and they have been with us for thousands of years for plato describes some of them and the oldest prescription in the world is a fumigation that was directed to curing just such a neurotic condition they need to have faith in themselves and faith in their maker and to stop hesitating and doubting and thinking and dreading. I've known men, but particularly women, who had been suffering in this way, become converted so that they took up the practice of religion, which they had neglected before, and proceeded to get immensely better. Of course, there are any number of hypochondriacs among people who profess religion, but they are the exceptions which prove the rule that fewer people who have a real sense of religion and who take it seriously as a guide of life suffer from dreads and symptoms which result from them than are to be found among the people who have given up the belief and practice of their religion 
This is particularly true of those who belong to the old orthodox forms of religion, which require self-denial and self-control as part of the practice of religious duties. As we've shown in the chapter on nervous diseases, the Quakers, the strict Methodists, the Roman Catholics, the Orthodox Jews, get their reward for their submission to their religion, even in this world, by lessening solicitude about themselves. Indeed, there is nothing that is more likely to dispel dreads than an abiding sense of religion. If a man or a woman is convinced that there is a providence that oversees human life, as well as the universe, in whom we live and move and have our being, and whose infinite knowledge and power we can have no doubt, the unreasonableness of dreads comes home to him. The man who prays every morning, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, must have the feeling that his will will be accomplished, and that is all that any of us can ask for. Somehow that is for the best, though we may not be able to see how just now. If not a sparrow falls to the ground, but your heavenly Father knoweth, and if, as the Master said, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Surely the believer will keep himself at least from being overworried by dreads. His disposition may be such that he cannot dispose of them entirely, but at least the best source of consolation and strength is to be found in that strong faith for which there are so many strengthening expressions against the fears and dreads of life which are to be found in the sacred writings how many striking sentences there are in the scriptures to help against these solicitudes and which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least why take ye thought for the rest how one is tempted to quote others of the expressions in that same wonderful chapter of Luke. The life is more than the meat, and the body is more than the raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. All over the scriptures are passages that are meant to be fear-dispelling, and that have been for many men and women in many generations. For fear is often the state of man, unless he has something to cling to. Fear not, for I am with thee. Fear ye not, nor be afraid. Have I not told thee? Fear not, I am the first and the last, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying to thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Scientists have recognized that religion and science were coordinate factors for the neutralization of the dreads that disturb humanity. Professor H. D. Seeley, who was for many years professor of geography, geology, and mineralogy at King's College, London, and who was a distinguished fellow of most of the important English scientific societies, the Royal, Linnaean, Geological, Zoological, and Geographical, stated in his little work, Factors in Life, his views as regards to the place of religion in dissipating the fear thoughts of life and places it side by side with science itself in this respect he said to the religious neither life nor death has terrors and in freeing existence from its greater anxieties the influence of religion works on the same foundation of moral efforts as science the sciences are the sisters of religion in that they unfold something of the laws by which the universe is governed 
and by which man's life is directed they are thus far the stepping-stones of faith and those who have learned that health is the reward which man may gain by moral discipline that mental vigor may be augmented by the wise or moral use of food and that education is a systemic exercise of moral responsibility in any or all the affairs of life may find that in the practice and pursuit of the truths of science they are conscious of a religious education which is a light to the feet such matters are factors in life which may educate us in a reverent appreciation of religious truth and divine government of the world many physicians of large experience have recognized the value of an abiding religious faith as a remedy for many of these dreads and doubts which so pester mankind and make so many people suffer even from physical symptoms that seem surely to have only material causes as their basis because they so hamper the will to live sir dice duckworth the distinguished english physician once wrote to a friend what is always needed is a reverent study and a full acknowledgment of god as a father and as the great all in all in my experience the only solution of all our difficulties is to maintain a humble childlike faith and a confident trust in the perfect love of god who knows whereof we are made and remembers that we are but dust with that and perfect love there need be no fear and all will come right in his own time that is the faith to live by and to die with and the happiest people and the happiest of the dying are those who hold firm by that faith this is my experience after much thought much knowledge of human nature and not a little study of all the difficulties you relate to me but it must not be thought that these dreads cause only the trivial instances of nervous breakdown in which people never very capable give way before the strenuous call of commercial life in the large cities of our time nor must it be thought that education is dispelling them some idea of the important role that dreads may play in the production of human ills that seem to be very serious and that often prove quite incapacitating for mental and physical work even in men of fine abilities and proven powers may be gathered from what happened during the recent great war the allied nations had to maintain some fifty thousand beds behind the lines for the accommodation of patients suffering from functional nervous affections really founded on dreads at the beginning these cases were misunderstood and they were unfortunately called shell shock because they seemed so serious that it was thought that they were due to some concussion of the nervous system that is some shaking up of its elements that made it impossible for it to function normally even though there were no external signs of injury after a time however it came to be appreciated that the great majority of these patients were suffering from major hysteria due to loss of control over the nervous system as a consequence of the most inevitable dreads which developed in the awful conditions of warfare in the trenches with its terrifying sights and sounds and with the intense strain put upon the nervous system because of the demands made upon the physical energy almost to the point of exhaustion after loss of sleep and irregular eating wet feet for days at a time exposure to the inclemencies of the weather and then having to withstand an enemy attack often at dawn after a fearsome barrage had been laid down on them for hours it is no wonder that in many cases men's nervous control did give way they were not cowards they were not malingerers on the contrary they were often brave men who had volunteered for the service giving up important positions at home to take up the defense of their country and yet after a time their dreads dominated them and they suffered from all sorts of symptoms 
Some of them could not see. A number could not hear. Some could not use their legs, and some could not employ their arms properly. Some walked with a limp. Some had tremor that made their usefulness as soldiers absolutely at an end. Nearly all of them had a series of complaints which they wanted to detail in all their minuteness to every physician who came near. Their stories of what had happened were mainly untrue or utter exaggerations of the actual events. And yet these men were not liars, and they were not the doddering idiots that they sometimes seemed to be. They were just fellow mortals, who meant to do their best, and who had been affected in this way, because they were asked to stand what was beyond their strength of soul to withstand. The educated suffered more than the uneducated. There were four times as many shell-shock cases among the officers of the British Army, in proportion to their number, as there were among the privates. Neither ambition, nor nobility, nor any artificial distinction of any kind seemed to make any difference, for all classes and conditions of men came down with it. Its frequence can be well judged from the fact that one-third of all the dismissions from the British Army, not counting the wounded, was for shell-shock, which of course should be called by its proper name of major hysteria. One-seventh of all the dismissions, if the wounded were included, was for this reason. It had been the custom to think, before the war, that only a comparatively few men, mostly those of a certain feministic appearance and delicacy of constitution, were likely to suffer from hysteria. It was found, however, that college graduates who stood at the head of their classes, athletes who held records, broad-shouldered, healthy men who had been considered to be the very acme of common sense, men who were supposed to be without a nerve in their makeup, all these proved to have nerves, and when the war got on their nerves, they suffered from the complaints which we have mentioned, and many others, including pains and discomforts of all kinds, and inabilities and incapacities, motor and sensory, as well as of the memory, of the mind, or the will. This recent significant experience will give some idea of how potent dreads may be in the production of symptoms which seem surely to be due to physical rather than merely mental conditions. Most people would probably be inclined to think that insofar as dreads produce diseases by the exaggeration of minor symptoms, at most scarcely more than mental conditions of discomfort would result from them. What are called the psychoneuroses, that is, the neurotic affections dependent on the state of mind, may simulate almost any of the organic conditions, and may seem to be serious diseases. Through the creation of unfortunate habits, they may give rise to a great many rather severe physical symptoms. The war neurosis emphasized this for us. Inability to use limbs, either legs or arms, is quite common in connection with them. Disturbances of sensation, such as defective hearing and eyesight, or even what seems to be complete blindness and deafness, may develop. Tremors are quite common, and pains and aches in connection with the disabilities of the limbs are extremely frequent. End of chapter 13, part 1